I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge the season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Rivals is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Rivals, the show about music beefs and feuds and long-simmering resentments between musicians. I'm Steve. And I'm Jordan. And today we're going to take a look at the feud between Morrissey of the Smiths and Robert Smith of The Cure. The rivalry means a lot to people because both of these bands spoke to those of us who felt alienated and lonely in our teens, which, as hardcore music fans, is probably most of us. Yes. We bonded with one or both of these bands in a really special way. And while that's true that you could easily enjoy both, I know that everybody had their favorite. I think this rivalry is significant because it's not just a case of two bands who exist in the same lane being unwittingly pitted against each other as rivals. The lead singers of these bands actually hated each other. I mean, like forget Oasis versus Blur. This is the original battle of British pop rock bands warring w- with each other in the press. And in spite of their reputations as like these like mopey goth rockers, these guys were actually really funny when they were insulting each other. Oh, yeah, they were Gallagher Brothers level. I mean, I, I was never able to figure out how real it was, though. I mean, I know they were competitive on some level, sort of battling it out for a subsection of the post-punk, late-era, new-wave sound, uh, especially with their biting social commentary. But I also think that Smith, and especially Morrissey, have a touch of the David Crosby, where they love just playing up their misanthropy by saying really outrageously awful things about people in the press for for attention and headlines. And, you know, it makes me wonder if, do they even mean it? I mean, because they both admitted as much. Morrissey once said, I lie a lot, it's really useful. Robert Smith said, I lie a lot, especially in interviews. So in my gut, I feel like that's got to be at play at some level in this too. Yeah, I mean, I think that's true. I'm sure there was some exaggeration going on here, but I also feel like there was some genuine dislike. And I think it stemmed from Morrissey in the 1980s being seen as this poet and true artist. 
And Robert Smith being depicted as this like melodramatic, more adolescent guy. <laughs> and it's been fascinating for me to see like this shift over the past several decades where I feel like in many ways, Robert Smith now has the level of respect that Morrissey used to have. Of course, that's due mostly to Morrissey saying many awful things and self-sabotaging his reputation. Yeah, that's that's definitely a major factor. I don't know. To me, talking about both these bands, it almost makes me uncomfortable in a way because it conjures up these memories of such a weird time in my life personally, all that like angsty adolescent stuff. I'm sure other people feel that way too. And I almost wonder if that sensation had an adverse effect on the reputation of The Cure in particular because for a time, it, it was a band you were almost embarrassed to admit that you liked because it was so linked to this painful, awkward adolescent period that we all went through. But ultimately, as you said, I think that The Cure benefited from that, and now we look back on them fondly because the music was always there for us during this crucial time. And The Cure have you know, received the recognition they deserved. They were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2019. And uh, what's more, they survived to watch Morrissey descend into a right-wing parody of himself. So that's a win. Yeah, you mentioned The Cure getting into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and the Smiths are not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which I think is a major crime. Oh, yeah. They deserve to be in there, but... You know, I'm sure if you ask Morrissey about this, he would say he doesn't care or he, he would at least claim that he doesn't care. <laughs> but I like to think that this is something that Robert Smith can lord over him if they ever bump into each other on like the post-punk senior citizen circuit. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. There's so much to explore here. So without further ado, let's get into this mess. I think it's important to begin with a very crucial fact, and that's that Stephen Patrick Morrissey hates an awful lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, he, he hates everything. He, he really does. I mean, I just want to take a quick moment to demonstrate this point. Uh, Morrissey hates meat, roller coasters, rain, cold weather, dance music. He's called rave music a refuge for the mentally deficient and described ah. wearing long hair as an unpartable offense which should be punishable by death. Yeah, that's rational. Yeah. Yeah, he hates the music of Stevie Wonder, which I think might be a first in human <laughs> history. But yeah, who hates Stevie Wonder? Uh, I, I got to speculate. It's maybe because uh, Stevie Wonder's name is Stephen, and Stephen Patrick Morrissey hates his birth name. Apparently, it reminds him of Steve Austin from the TV series The Six Million Dollar Man, which he also whoa, apparently whoa. hates. He doesn't like the name Steve? I, I know. Yeah, you got, you got some things okay. to say on that, Steve? Yeah, we're get, it's getting personal yeah, now, right. Morrissey. Yeah. He hates Kate Bush, saying the nicest thing I can say about her is that she's unbearable, that voice, such trash. He hates Bob Geldof, calling him a nauseating character. He hates so many people. The, the list is too long for me to even read over here. Uh, quite tellingly, his first solo LP after the Smiths disbanded was called Viva Hate. And he's never denied being, you know, seriously misanthropic, saying in one early interview, I hate most people and I don't want to. It's an awful way to be. But the human race gives me no comfort. <laughs> Oh, my God. And to illustrate this point, when he smelled meat being uh, cooked at, when he was performing at Coachella in 2009, he famously said, I can smell burning flesh. I hope to God it's human. <laughs> so this is the level of the person we're dealing with. And he's either an Olympian-level misanthrope or a grade-A outrageous quote machine. Uh, his lyrics would suggest a combination of the two. So as far as his conflict with Robert Smith goes... It starts really at the beginning of Morrissey's career. It's 1984. He's giving an interview with the magazine The Face. And the reporter asked this question, if I put you in a room with Robert Smith, Mark E. Smith of the Fall, in a loaded Smith & Wesson, who would bite the bullet first? <laughs> now, before we get to <laughs> Morrissey's answer here, I think it's clear from the construction of this question 
that the idea is to name a bunch of people named Smith. Right. Because Morrissey is in a band called The Smiths. It's not really about Robert Smith or The Cure particularly. I mean, it's not known yet really how Morrissey feels about that band. It's really just a jokey question to ask Morrissey where – you know, you're setting the ball on the tee for him to say something outrageous. And, of course, Morrissey can never resist the bait here. Has he ever turned the other cheek, Morrissey? I don't think he's ever turned down an opportunity to slag someone off. No, absolutely not. Uh, which makes him a terrible person, but it makes him perfect for this show. So I guess I have to thank Morrissey <laughs> for that. But Morrissey says, and this is maybe like, like the worst possible answer from like a humanist perspective, but like it's a very <laughs> funny answer. He says, I'd line them up so that one bullet would penetrate them simultaneously. (laughs) At any rate, it's rather curious that he began wearing beads at the emergence of the Smiths. This is Morrissey saying of Robert Smith. And he's been photographed with flowers. And of course, this is a reference to the fact that early in his career, Morrissey would come on stage holding daffodils. So there's the implication that Robert Smith is somehow ripping him off. And he says, I expect he's quite supportive of what we do, but I've never liked the cure. Not even the caterpillar. (laughs) Not even the caterpillar. Yeah, exactly. I'm curious, like, why he singled out the Caterpillar as, like, it being amazing that he doesn't even like that song. Like, I I don't think of that as necessarily being, like, the most popular Cure song or the most accessible Cure song, but... Or the most, like, the Smiths Cure song. Yeah, I couldn't figure it out either. Right. It's kind of weird, but at any rate, the point is, is that Morrissey would murder Robert Smith if given the opportunity, and he thinks that he's ripping him off. So that is what has been established in this interview. And this quote gets back to Robert Smith, who who fired back in kind. Uh, he said, Morrissey's so depressing. If he doesn't off himself soon, I probably will. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's just beautiful. Winston Churchill level insult right there. Very, very good. Uh, years later, when he's looking back on the, the Morrissey feud, uh, Robert Smith also said, you know, I would have expected at the time him being a non-meat-eating, vegetarian, pacifist sort of guy to say, I choose to shoot myself or I choose to shoot no one. But he said I'd line them all up and shoot them all. When I was told that at the time, I kind of took umbrage. I thought, that's fucking nice. And then he drops a C-bomb because he's Robert Smith. Um, I, it seemed like he was genuinely pretty hurt by this whole exchange. I mean, he said it was, you know, un- unnecessary. I'd never said or done anything to Morrissey. And they, according to Robert Smith, at least, at that point, they'd never even been in the same room together. Yeah, you know, I'm going to tip my hand here as being more sympathetic generally to Robert Smith. And I think I'm probably a bigger Cure fan than I am a fan of the Smiths, even though I love both bands. Uh, but it, it really is amazing to me that Robert Smith generally comes off as like relatively normal and level-headed in his interviews, <laughs> which you wouldn't necessarily expect necessarily if you just listen to his music or like you see him on stage. Obviously, he's wearing all the makeup. He always seems miserable in his music. But then when he's talking to reporters, he seems like a pretty normal guy. Yeah, exactly. He's like he's funny and he just sounds reasonable. Whereas with Morrissey, the more interviews he's done in his career, the crazier and more irrational he becomes. It's like he's already pretty melodramatic in his lyrics, but like he just is so awful. Like the more he talks. So, in terms of like their personal dispositions, I feel like that's like a defining difference between these guys. Yeah, I mean, Robert Smith would claim in later years that he was confused why there was even a comparison between The Cure and The Smiths. Uh, he'd say there's nothing that links Morrissey and The Cure in my mind. As years go by, it's very easy to think we were from the same generation, but we're not. And he's right. I mean, The Cure recorded their first album in 1978, and The Smiths released their self-titled debut in 1984, which is kind of a different mini-generation in, in a way. And I think that The Smiths stuff sounded maybe more like early Cure albums, but by the time The Smiths came around... They were doing sort of more 
synth-based, moody, darker, the head on the door type stuff that really it didn't sound very similar to the Smiths at all, to me at least. Again, I, I love both bands. To me, it is natural to compare them. I understand that The Cure started earlier. They are really part of that post-punk generation that really emerged, you know, after the Sex Pistols and the Clash, you know, in the late 70s. But I think the reason that they get grouped together is that the same kind of person loves both bands, mm, you know. It's like, if you love The Smiths, you probably love The Cure and vice versa. And they just both have, I think, a very kind of quintessentially like 80s alternative rock vibe to them. You know, again, even though The Cure started earlier, they didn't really come into their own until the 1980s. Like with those albums that you mentioned, Head on the Door, obviously Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. And then I think hitting their culmination, like their peak with Disintegration in 1989. What I think is interesting about these bands in terms of how they're perceived critically is that I think that the Smiths for years had this reputation as being a smarter band. Uh, they were the band that I think critics tended to rate higher than The Cure. The Queen is Dead is a record that you're much more likely to see near the top of like greatest albums of all times lists than you are Disintegration, for instance. Even though, if given the choice, I would take Disintegration personally. A thousand percent. Over The Queen is Dead. The strength to me of The Smiths is singles. I think their singles collections are excellent. And they have... So many songs that I would say are just like perfect songs. There's a Light That Never Goes Out, Hand in Glove, How Soon Is Now. I mean, there's just so many wonderful singles that they have. Whereas I look at The Cure as being more of an album band. Like they have, I think, several albums that hold together as statements. Whereas again, I think The Smiths, you have The Queen Is Dead, and then their other albums to me are a little spottier and it's much more about singles. I also think The Cure, you have to give them credit for their longevity. You know, they were around before The Smiths, and they were around after the Smiths. And this is another thing that gets overshadowed. The Cure, maybe I'm wrong about this, but to me, they were a much more popular band, especially in America. Like, I feel like at their peak, like, weren't the Cure playing arenas, basically, like, by the time of disintegration? Like, I don't think the Smiths ever got to that kind of level, at least here in the United States. Yeah, and I wonder if that worked against them, kind of becoming almost more of this, like, populist favorite. I'm sure Morrissey could throw that back in their face in a lot of ways, too. I always thought that... The Smiths seem like, was for a more discerning music fan, they always seem more literate. They tackled social issues, you know, meat is murder, the queen is dead, in ways that I don't think The Cure ever really did. I think Robert Smith was mostly writing about himself, and I think that, in some ways, is one of their great strengths, because when he's describing how he's feeling, so often that resonates with all of us, depending on what we're going through in our lives. But I think that also you could argue that Robert Smith seemed a lot more kind of like navel-gazy and self-obsessed, too. And I, I think that that was... Uh, the fact that they didn't really look outward quite as much as the Smiths, I think, dinged them definitely at the time, you know, in, in uh, Thatcher era England, especially when there was sort of a lot to rail against. That was always fascinating to me, the, the sort of the political element of their music. I just wonder to what degree Robert Smith internalized the critical conversation around both bands, because, and this is something I'm sure he would never admit to personally, but, you know, again, like, by the end of the 80s, The Cure, like, had, like, a legitimate pop hit with Love Song. You know, Love Song, I believe, was, like, a top five hit, just for them, and of course, that song's been covered by so many artists since then. I mean, it was on one of the Adele records, which I'm sure bought Robert Smith, like, <laughs> ten houses, yeah. you know, like, just a ton of money, I'm sure, from that cover, but again, I feel like for a long time, people just took the Smiths more seriously while also dinging The Cure for being, again, this like kind of like adolescent, angsty, navel-gazy band. 
And, you know, there's an interview that Robert Smith gave in 1989, I think like pretty much at, at the height of The Cure's popularity, where he took a shot at Morrissey and he says, he's a precious, miserable bastard. <laughs> he's all the things people think I am. And I think that's a very telling quote because I'm sure Robert Smith felt like, oh, people are, you know, they, they have this caricature of me that I'm just like this sad bastard guy. And that's preventing some people from, you know, giving me my due as like a great songwriter. Like, People talk about Morrissey being a great songwriter, but like I like I'm a great songwriter too, and I also like write my own music too. But I don't get that kind of uh, love from critics. They don't look at me as a tunesmith. They look at me as just like this miserable guy. But it's like, well, what about this other guy? Like he's just as miserable as me, if not more so. Right. I mean, Robert Smith, incredible guitarist, producer, and, and wrote all the Cure's music. And I, I agree with that. And also, I think there's a case of maybe like you dislike someone because you see elements of yourself in them that, that you don't like about yourself. So maybe there was some of that, too. It's like, no, 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 no. I, I, I'm not that bad. It's, it's him. Look at him. He's even worse than me. So, yeah, I, I could see it being your way as well, being like, no, come on. Like, this is Morrissey actually is a miserable bastard and I do so much more. But also maybe there's some of it just it was he worried it did hit too close to home. He did see elements of himself that he didn't like. So these two ended up continuing to snipe at each other even after the Smiths broke up. And you know, I alluded to this earlier. I mean, the Smiths' window of time like really isn't that big. I mean, they were basically a force in British music for about five years in, in the mid-1980s. By the end of the 80s, they're finished. Johnny Marr, who is a genius guitar player, and I feel like he doesn't get as much credit as he deserves in that Morrissey-Marr songwriting partnership, just like the wonderful music that he wrote uh, for those songs. By the way, we have to do a Morrissey versus Marr yes. episode at some point. That will be amazing. <laughs> but anyway, like even after the Smiths broke up, Morrissey and Robert Smith continue to take shots at each other. There's this great interview. I feel like it's like a pretty famous quote where uh, Robert Smith was talking about how, you know, Morrissey is this animal rights activist and how that runs counter to just how awful he is to human beings. <laughs> you know, like he cares more about animals than he does about human beings. And Robert Smith says, this is a great quote. He says, if Morrissey says not to eat meat, then I'm going to eat meat. That's how much I hate Morrissey. <laughs> Which Possibly my favorite quote of this whole thing. That's great. And then Morrissey, of course, shoots back. He said, Robert Smith is a fat clown with makeup weeping over a guitar. Uh, which is like, I feel like the Robert Smith quote is like a little more self-aware. You know, he's almost like making fun of himself yeah. a little bit for how much. It's like, I'm just reacting against anything that he does just because this guy annoys me. Whereas Morrissey is just like being directly insulting of like, you know, he's calling him fat you know, he's saying he's weeping over a guitar. And Robert Smith, of course, he has a shoot back. You know, he's, there was an interview that he did around this time with the magazine Zone 09, where he was talking about his status as a godfather of goth. And he doesn't really like that distinction. He says, I'm tired of being known as a doomy goth casualty. The press tries to portray me as a gloom and doom singer. But take a look at Morrissey. That man is a professional complainer. Um <laughs> So, you know, just going back to what I was saying before, I think this idea, I think that annoyed him that he was caricatured in this way that I don't think Morrissey was to the same degree at that time. 
I think that, you know, Morrissey definitely was known as this mopey artist, but I feel like his songwriting partnership with Johnny Marr, I think people, certainly critics, they treated that with a degree of seriousness, almost like likening them to like Lennon McCartney, you know, like the Lennon McCartney of their era that I don't think they did that with Robert Smith. I don't feel like he got the credit that he deserved as a songwriter at that time because yeah you know the cure had a very distinct image but you know if you look at their albums i mean he's writing all these great songs and you know as great as the smiths are as a singles act i should mention i mean standing on a beach uh, their compilation of their 80 singles that's like a defining document of like early alternative rock i mean he wrote a lot of great singles too so i think he just felt like hey recognize my talent don't just look at the makeup and like the crazy hair. Like I am producing great material at this time. My favorite Robert Smith story from this period, and it, it, it might not be true, but I choose to believe it. I've been having trouble sourcing the quotes for this. But uh, Robert Smith said, I remember running into Morrissey at a Halloween party or something. I went to punch him on the arm and he just closed his eyes and started crying. <laughs> I've seen that. <laughs> I mean, I'm just imagining a scenario where like Morrissey would go to anyone's Halloween party. Right, yeah. And would he dress That's up? the thing. Or would he just be Robert Smith? No, of course not. I could see Robert Smith going to a Halloween party. I, I mean like Morrissey. Oh, Morrissey yeah. would never go to a Halloween party. That's the only reason I doubt this story. Because I'm just I'm just trying to like imagine a scenario like who's holding the Halloween party? Like who would be friends with both of these guys and get them both to show up? Right, yeah. Make the know? mistake of inviting them both. <laughs> yeah. I mean, is that like uh you know, I'm just trying to think of like prominent 80s stars. Is, is, is like Sting having this party? <laughs> is like Bono or like McCartney. George Michael? You know, like who would be having that party? So that's, that's the only reason I doubt that story. Otherwise, I'm like you. I would rather believe it than disbelieve it. So this all brings us to 1991. And the Smiths at this point are done, passed on into legend. And Morrissey has a hit number one on the British charts with his debut album, Viva Hate. She has incredible songs every day is like Sunday and Suedehead. He's gearing up to promote his second solo disc, Kill Uncle, with an interview with the NME, which is actually another thing he hates. Forgot to mention that earlier. And he takes a stab at The Cure's Disintegration, 1989. Their, their masterpiece. I, I, it's one of my favorite albums of all time. I, I think it's their definitive album, one of the best albums of the 80s. I think it's better than any single Smiths record. I mean, love songs you mentioned, Pictures of You, Homesick, which I think might be my favorite Cure song ever, Lullaby, Fascination Street. Brilliant album. Morrissey, as one might expect, doesn't feel this way. He describes The Cure's seminal record as absolutely vile and adds, The Cure, a new dimension to the word crap. (laughs) Which is a great quote. (laughs) Yeah, that's the pull quote. It's very insulting, but I like Robert Smith's response because I actually think his response is funnier than even that great quote. Because he was told about Morrissey's opinion of disintegration. And Robert Smith says, at least we've added a new dimension in crap, not built a career on it. <laughs> he definitely is much more self-aware in his in his insults back. That's totally right. Exactly. Just, you know, he's kind of being self-deprecating. But, yeah, he's just able to twist it and get it back on Morrissey. And it's like, Morrissey, yeah, give me a break. Disintegration, brilliant record, and a very influential record, too. I mean, there's so many types of music, whether it's dream pop. Even, like, like SoundCloud rappers have, like, sampled Cure songs. I mean, like, Korn has covered Cure songs. I mean, their influence really extends beyond just this alt-rock lane. And the same is true also of Morrissey. He's also had a very wide influence. But Disintegration, a masterful record. All right, hang on. We'll be right back with more Rivals. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. 
Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the Ferryman of Souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I never thought I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century-old mystery, but that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. Join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages and untangle clues within my family's origin story, which has morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? Or was it by the Sicilian Mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she, as my father believed, a witch? Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. interesting to me that Robert Smith logs way more insults than Morrissey in all this back and forth. And maybe because he's been asked about it a lot more and he's sort of been, you know, on the defensive in this whole beef. Morrissey's verbal assaults, I think, are a lot more potent, but Smith definitely has the frequency. Uh, in November 1993, he's interviewed by Spin Magazine, and <laughs> the Robert Smith interview title is called Happily Ever After, which still makes me laugh. And he goes after Morrissey again, saying, I have never liked Morrissey and I still don't. I think it's hilarious, actually, what things I've heard about him and what he's really like. And his public persona is so different. He's such an actor. Calling him a poser. And in Rolling Stone, not too long after, he says, you know, I'd rather have our fans than his. Our Cure fans are generally quiet, well-spoken, and friendly, and not pretentious in the slightest. Uh, Hopefully that reflects on the nature of the Cure. And he's kind of right. I mean, especially when you watch interviews with Morrissey, even like pre all the right wing stuff, like in the early in the early 80s, he's kind of frightening. You feel like he could turn on you. There's something that very I, I don't know. I always get kind of freaked out watching his old interviews. Whereas Robert Smith, there's like a gentleness there that like, you know, you want to like give him a hug or something, too. And I 
I feel like that extends to, in case it's not obvious, I'm, I'm more of a Cure guy than a Smiths guy. I feel like that extends to their fans too. I don't know. There's something about, something more sensitive maybe about, about Cure fans. I don't know. Well, you know, again, I feel like there is a, quite a bit of overlap in the fan bases yeah. here. And I, I think that, you know, if you like the Cure, there's a very high likelihood that you like the Smiths. And if you like the Smiths, I think there's a likelihood that you like the Cure. The difference is that I, I just think that there's more Cure fans, period. Because the Cure, again, like if we're talking about just like America by itself, I think they were much bigger in America. Because like by the end of the 80s, you know, like I said before, they were having like genuine pop hits. Not just like alternative rock hits, but like they were played on Top 40 radio. And... You know, it makes sense that Adele ended up covering a Cure song because the Cure really were like a pop band in a way that I don't think the Smiths were. I think they were more so in England than in here, but here they were always more of a cult band. And the Cure isn't often described as like a populist band, but I think in this dynamic anyway, they are the more populist group. They are the band that you know, just had a wider appeal. And as we were saying earlier, I think in a way, you know, because of the indie politics of the time, that made the cure less cool than the Smiths. You know, the Smiths always had that hip outsider status that the cure was never going to have. Of course, as those indie politics matter less and less as we get farther and farther away from like the 80s and 90s, I think that coincides with the cure's reputation getting better and maybe the Smiths diminishing a, a little bit. But of course, that's also due to the fact that Morrissey, starting in the early 90s, takes a very bizarre left turn toward being basically a right-wing lunatic. <laughs> and that evolution begins, I guess, like in 1992, like he was performing at this music festival in England, and he put a Union Jack around himself. And of course, you know, we think about the Who flying a Union Jack in the 1960s. And I think back then, it was this idea of just being proud to be from England, you know, and which is something that we also see in the kinks at that time, writing specifically about England in the face of like America just being such a big cultural force in the world. But by the early 90s, like the symbolism of like a Union jacket had changed quite a bit and it really kind of turned into this like symbol of like nationalism in England. And I just wonder like to what degree, you know, Morrissey, you did a great job of this earlier in the episode talking about all the things that he hates the man is an elitist <laughs> and it seems like his elitism is really starting to take an ugly turn at this time where it's not just like a funny like you know misanthropic like i'm giving fun quotes in an interview it's like actually sort of leaking into his worldview like where he actually does think he's better than other people yeah i mean this was like pre-brit pop and in that era as you said it would definitely have more right-wing connotations and at this festival he's performing at there was a, apparently a large skinhead contingent there and it was felt that it was sort of signaling to these nationalist extremist groups and at the time the nme had a headline with a picture of morrissey on stage at that festival flying the flag or flirting with disaster uh so it definitely it, it got noticed at that time and in fact morrissey was so pissed off by that headline that he refused to talk to the nme for like a decade or something so um so yeah this was something that started early on uh in the 90s and it's interesting to me that for all their differences, Robert Smith never went in on Morrissey for his controversial statements or any of his sort of out there political views, which became much, much, much more pronounced as the decade went on. I thought that was interesting given their feud that he never went there. I mean, I think Robert Smith was smart enough to know that like Morrissey is owning himself right. <laughs> with this yeah. stuff. It's like, what do I need to say? He's making a fool of himself. So, you know, 
just let him continue to make a fool of himself. At this point, we're used to Morrissey, you know, all of the terrible quotes that he's had over the years, and we're going to get into some of those later in this episode. I think people are used to it by now, but I really feel like there was maybe a sense of portrayal starting to come in to play with fans in the 90s that, you know, Morrissey was at his best associated with the underdog. You know, he was uh, the music of like alienated people, people on the outside. And to embrace this sort of ideology, it's so strange. But at the same time, if you think of him ultimately as an elitist, it does have a weird kind of twisted sense of logic to it. Yeah, we'll get more into this later too, but especially the word betrayal, I think, is definitely the perfect one. It's been hard for a lot of fans who look to him as somebody for soulless when they felt alone and isolated and sort of oppressed in the 80s. I think it's been really hard to rationalize the music that came from that person to the public statements that he says now. Back in 2004, uh, The Cure and Morrissey faced off in the charts again. They both had back-to-back releases of Morrissey's You Are the Corey uh, in May, and The Cure had a self-titled album the following month. And um, I guess it's probably fair to say at this point, both of their relevance had really faded significantly. And they kind of began the slide into more of, I'm not going to call them nostalgia acts, but they definitely didn't have the same uh, critical and cultural potency that they once did. Uh, But Robert Smith was being interviewed for his new album, and he still took the opportunity to slag off Morrissey just for old time's sake. In an interview with Entertainment Weekly, he said, Morrissey was constantly saying horrible things about The Cure. In the end, I kind of snapped and started retaliating, and it turned into some kind of petty feud. I've never liked anything he's done musically, but I don't have any kind of strong feelings of animosity towards him as a person because I've never met him. Maybe that Halloween story is fake. So his music sucks, but <laughs> he might not be a jerk. I can't <laughs> yeah. say for sure. But, you know, I've never met him and I probably never will because I actually do hate his guts. There was, I guess, an official like peace accord between these guys that began in 2019. Morsi gave an interview where you know, he was sounding off on a wide range of issues, including his very problematic, I guess, political points of view. But he also ended up talking about Robert Smith. And Morsi was like actually, I think, weirdly conciliatory in this context. He said, I said some terrible things about him 35 years ago, but I didn't mean them. I was just being very Grange Hill, which I guess is a British like teen soap opera. It's great when you can blame everything on Tourette's syndrome. <laughs> so is that is that an apology? I, yeah, yeah. I mean, the word regret is in there, I suppose. Yeah, but the Tourette's thing at the end is is definitely... I, I count that legally as an apology. I don't know about how sincere. I just feel like an apology means accepting responsibility for what you've done. And I feel like he did not accept responsibility at the end. But we're talking about Morrissey here, so this is as close as, as we're going to get to an apology. And of course, Robert Smith has to respond. And he he gave an interview to the NME where he says, it was slightly odd as I haven't really had it at the forefront of my consciousness over the last 20 or 30 years. I don't know. Even at the time, I never quite understood what the problem was. It's far from important right now. Which I love that response because it's very like Walter Sobchak and the Big Lebowski saying calmer than (laughs) you are. Come on the yard, dude. Come on the yard, dude. Which by the way, Robert Smith, who... Look, we both love. He's being like pretty disingenuous here because he's basically saying like, I haven't even thought about this in 30 years. Meanwhile, we've just listed several quotes of him slagging off Morrissey that were well within that, you know, 20 to 30 year window. So, I mean, look, maybe he only thought about it when journalists asked him about it, but he certainly never backed away from taking a shot at Morrissey when he had the opportunity. But again, you know, 
it's clear that like when you get beyond the insults that Robert Smith, it seems like he was genuinely hurt. Going back to that 1984 interview where Morrissey said that he would shoot him and Marky Smith. There was this interview that he did with The Guardian where he says, I felt it was unfair that he would shoot me. If you asked him again, he might choose to shoot himself rather than me or whoever else it was. <laughs> so He still cares. You know, he still it, cares that Morrissey yeah, exactly. shot him. It's like, I don't care. I haven't thought about it in 30 years, but I also remember this interview where he said that he would shoot me, you know? So again, being a little disingenuous there, but I appreciate the calmer than you are, you know, defense there. I think that's always a good thing. Like we're like, well, but you, you're acting like you care. I'd never even cared at all. Like, uh, so I'm clearly the winner I mean, here. This all begs the question, did Marky e. Smith ever respond to any of this? Well, I mean, Marky e. Smith is an even bigger misanthrope than <laughs> Morrissey. <true. laughs> So, you know, I'm sure that he would, like, get a, like, a machine gun and, like, mow them both down if you ask Marky Smith. So maybe Robert Smith is being a little more generous at this stage because, as we've said, Morrissey's becoming something of a pariah due to his string of really increasingly controversial quotes about race and immigration and the Me Too movement. Uh, In the last 15 years, Morrissey's transformed into basically, like, a one-man assault on political correctness. And... Again, it's interesting that Robert Smith never came to him for that. But again, like you said, he was just such an easy target. And for a while, it was tempting to try to write off everything Morrissey said as really being like intentionally provocative just for attention. But as time went on, it really got harder and harder to ignore. Like, is he being deliberately provocative? Is he being like a pro wrestler villain? Or is it a case of big mouth strikes again? You know, I mean, is his uh, misanthropic tendencies curdled into these really reprehensible beliefs? And we won't go too deep into this because that's a whole other episode of, you know, Morrissey versus everyone who isn't Morrissey. But it's worth noting because I think it really impacted the Smith's reputation in a way that's relevant to the uh, the Smith's versus Cure argument. And, you know, in the early days, Morrissey was this paragon of, of left-wing ideology. He was anti-Thatcher with Margaret on the guillotine. He was anti-monarchy with Queen is dead. And an uncompromising attitude towards animal rights, meat is murder. He was really explicit in his hatred of blue-blooded establishment and control. You have songs like The Headmaster Ritual. Uh, When asked how he'd feel if somebody murdered Margaret Thatcher in the 80s, he replied, obviously I'd marry that person. So, you know, he's definitely as left-wing as you can come in this era. And his songs are all about the downtrodden, lonely outsiders. You know, Mexico, an an extra from the uh, You Are the Quarry outtakes, takes on white privilege. It seems if you're rich and you're white, you'll be all right. I just don't see why this should be so. Yeah, it's crazy when you contrast like those early songs with like that t- uh, 2007 interview that he did with the NME, where I feel like that was like him really going off the deep end. Oh yes, that was when uh, I think he ended up suing them for that too. It, it just it, it's really confusing for like this first generation Irish Catholic immigrant speaking out so strongly against what he saw as really lax immigration policies in the UK. He says, although I don't have anything against people from other countries, the higher the influx into England, the more the British identity disappears. You walk through Knightsbridge, a neighborhood in London, on any bland day of the week, you won't hear an English accent. Uh, England is a memory now. The gates are flooded and anybody can have access to England and join in. And, and he ended up taking the enemy to court for libel, saying that the quotes were, were taken out of context. And he got an apology from the magazine. But then... A couple years later, in 2010, he does an interview with the Guardian Weekend magazine, and he referred to Chinese people as, quote, a subspecies. And this is in response to their treatment of animals. Horrendous. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and and it keeps going. I mean, he, he said awful things about London's mayor, Sadiq Khan, saying that he can't talk properly at some quotes. 
And he, uh, he reportedly responded to the terrorist attack in his hometown of Manchester in 2017 by criticizing immigration, despite the fact that the perpetrator wasn't an immigrant, so it had nothing to do with that at all. He reportedly said that Berlin had become, quote, the rape capital of the world due to its open borders. Yeah. Really bad. And whenever people would ask him if he's a racist, he's quoted as saying uh, variations on the word racist is meaningless now. Everyone ultimately prefers their own race. Does this make everyone racist? Uh, Yeah. You know, once you say everyone ultimately prefers their own race, like you're pretty much like like way down the slippery slope. It just gets worse after that. You know, he's like been a Brexit supporter. You know, he's been a vocal critic of Me Too. And I just feel like all of this stuff, you know, as you were saying earlier, it's just like hurt the reputation of the Smiths. Because if you love the Smiths, not only because they had great music, but because you thought they signified something about being an alienated outsider, that this was going to be music that like spoke for you, you know, as someone who doesn't feel comfortable in the mainstream of society. You know, you looked at Morrissey as a hero. You looked at someone you looked at him as someone who's going to like stand up for you and 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 people like you. So to see him do this heel turn that he's done in the last 15 years or or 20 years or so, you know, even if in his mind he feels like, well, I'm just reacting to what I feel is like sort of stifling political correctness and I'm being provocative, I'm being interesting. Even if that is what is at play here? It just takes away what he once signified to people. And it just makes his song seem phony. And I think with an artist like Morrissey, authenticity is so important, you know, but it's like, you can't listen to those records now without hearing these quotes in your head. And it just plays against, I think, what those records originally meant to people. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I mean, Morrissey very famously has a huge following in the Latin American community because his songs speak to that sense of otherness as they, you know, try to, they leave their home behind and try to assimilate new American culture. So I'm sure that the, this abrupt phase, specifically on the issue of immigration was really hurtful to a lot of them. There were some really interesting interviews out there with uh, Latin American Morrissey fans speaking about how, how they're coming to, to terms with, with these things that he says. And it, it is very hurtful. And, you know, in, in England, there have been some stores that won't stock his records anymore. And subway posters in, uh, I think, in the UK were taken down for some of his new albums, too. So it, there's been increasing blowback as his statements have gotten uh, more and more extreme. Concurrent with this was the Cure's reputation receiving kind of a shot in the arm in the 2010s. And for years, we said earlier, the Cure were sort of seen as this doomy, self-serious, melodramatic teenage band. And the fact that they were a commercial success, much bigger than the Smiths in the U.S., was sort of a liability because, like as we said, it made them this cheap populist act in the eyes of many tastemakers, especially when compared with the Smiths' sort of like cool wit. It's really incredible. I mean, the NME in December of 2000 named the most influential artist of all time. The Smiths logged in at number 10. The Cure didn't place at all. When NME ranked the 50 greatest artists of all time in 2002, the Smiths edged out the Beatles for the number one spot, and the wow. Cure didn't appear at all. Yeah, that's just crazy to me. I think it makes more sense for a British music magazine to do that because the Smiths clearly just meant more in England than they meant in the United States. But to not even put the Cure on the list at all is like so crazy to me. When again, you look at the length of their career, which really goes from like the late seventies until like the mid nineties, as far as them being like a really relevant hit making band. I mean, that's like a 20 year run, which is impressive for any band. But if you look at, again, like the quality of their catalog, again, having multiple albums that I think are really excellent, it just shows like how much they were underappreciated. I have to think too, that 
you know, the disposition of Robert Smith versus Morrissey, I just feel like that's become so much clearer now in the last 20 years. And, you know, we were talking about this earlier about how if you want to caricature Robert Smith as just like this miserable, sad bastard type, <laughs> that really falls apart when you see interviews with him or you read interviews where I, I just generally find him to be a very self-aware, funny, smart guy. And, you know, I was thinking about that moment when uh, The Cure were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2019. There was that viral video of Robert Smith being interviewed on the red carpet before going into the theater. Did you see that (laughs) video? It's hilarious. Like there's this very excited woman interviewing Robert Smith and and she asks like, are you as excited as I am to be here tonight? And Robert Smith just kind of looks at her and says, well, it doesn't look like it, (laughs) you know? And it is very low key, like almost like a Larry David type disposition. And it's hilarious. And it just shows like, again, like, He seems like a guy who knows who he is. He's comfortable with his place in like music history and and music culture. And, you know, you mentioned self-serious as being a tag that was put on the cure. He actually doesn't seem to take himself that seriously. No, not I don't even get, you know, misanthrope vibes from him necessarily. I get somebody who just doesn't want to deal with all the sort of bullshit that goes along with having to be like, you know, p- playing arenas like the Cure did and stuff like that. The, the older he gets, the more I just see, as you said, a low-key guy. So before we go to the pro case for each side, uh, we have to answer the looming question that's been in the air since the start of this episode, which is who would win in an actual fight between them? You got Morrissey, the oh, Pope man. of Mope, or Rock Sad Clown? What do you think? You know, neither one of them seem like they're in great shape. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess Morrissey is probably in, uh, like a bit better shape than Robert Smith. You know, I just see them circling each other and saying mean things to each other without actually throwing a punch. And then at some point, just getting bored and wandering off. It's really hard for me to imagine them actually coming to physical blows. Like, what do you think? Do you think they, they could actually like land a punch on each other? I could see maybe one coming from Robert Smith. Uh, I could see him having a sadistic streak, but I could see, you know, Morrissey just laying down to welcome the sweet relief of death. That's where I'm at. We're going to take a quick break to get a word from our sponsor before we get to more Rivals. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of BitCon, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? 
All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Okay, we've reached the part of our episode where we give the pro side of each part of the rivalry. Let's talk about the Smiths first. One of the greatest singles bands of all time, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, few bands have as many just like perfect pop songs as the Smiths do. You know, and I alluded to this earlier, we haven't really talked about Johnny Marr in this episode. I think that he is a really crucial part of what makes the Smiths magical. And I'll say that, like, if you don't want to listen to the Smiths because you find Morrissey so annoying, don't forget that Johnny Mm -hmm. Marr is a big part of that band. And they're still worth listening to, even if you find the lead singer irritating, just because of his wonderful guitar playing. And it must be said about Morrissey, you know, as obnoxious as he can be, he really is like a pretty brilliant lyricist. And I think in his prime, he is like one of the great British pop rock lyricists of all time. Uh, and it's a shame that that talent gets overshadowed by some of this other stuff. But yeah, I mean, wonderful song titles, too. I mean, he could title a song as well as anybody. Oh, yeah. I think he's one of the few musicians whose lyrics work on that you get almost as much out of them on the page you know i mean they're poetry they're so witty and insightful he took the ordinary and dramatized it in such a way that was just so relatable these characters that are just steeped in insecurity and shame and no one expresses loneliness and angst like morrissey i mean it was funny it was sad it was angry it was defeated it was defiant i mean often all in the same song unparalleled lyricist and, you know, as we've said all through the episode, it's pretty much accepted that the Smiths were the most, you know, in quotes, important band. But it's insane how prolific they were just for their five-year streak. And I think in a lot of ways, it's the Hendrix effect. They never got to be middle-aged and make their bad Clapton albums. You know, the Smiths never made old sock. You know, as much as I prefer the cure for the song-by-song comparison of their peak eras, the Smiths might have an edge. I think the Smiths' peaks were maybe higher. What do you think? That's I, Although I, I do prefer, I think, the, the Cures catalog overall more so. Yeah, I mean, I think the Hendrix comparison is apt or like the Velvet Underground or Big Star, any of these bands that have a, a short life, but everything they put out was more or less essential. And that seems to be true of the Smiths. Even though I, I don't think that their albums from that period are as good as the Cure albums, but maybe with the exception of The Queen is Dead. 
But to me, again, as a singles band, they're really great. And uh, definitely one of the best singles bands of their era. And really, I think, of all time. Like, I, I, they're in that conversation. If we go over to the Cure side, again, a longer career, a deeper catalog. And I think they have, like, a wider range of influence. I mean, going back to that uh, list that you were talking about earlier, how the Smiths were ranked higher than the Cure. I, I guess the Cure wasn't even on no. that list of, like, most influential British bands. But... If you look at the people that have covered Cure songs, it's like everyone from Adele to Korn to Lil Peep, you know, they've either covered Cure songs or they, they've sampled them. I think that speaks to the Cure's, again, more populist appeal. Uh, you know, they were a band that sold more records than the Smiths. They had, like, bigger hits, at least, you know, certainly here in America. And I think they continue to speak to outsiders maybe even more than the Smiths do. Also, you know, as we've reiterated time and again in this episode— Robert Smith is just a more likable person than Morrissey. You know, like I cheer for mm. him in a way that I don't for Morrissey. Yeah, I agree. I mean, so much of what the Smiths seem so attached to their place and time, uh, and maybe some of that is because they're sort of directly tackling social issues. If Morrissey's lyrics talk to being an awkward, angsty, boring kid of a certain era and culture, I think the Cure's songs are what being an angsty teen felt like. You know, with those epic mood pieces like Homesick, like just... The songs are just ecstatic highs, like just like heaven, and then these deep, dark lows, like that that three-minute opening part to Homesick with that like mournful piano part. I mean, the, the Cure were masters of like the three-minute instrumental intro, I just want to say. Like all of Disintegration oh, yeah. has that. Just oh, epic. yeah, exactly. And I, I think that the Cure's sound is so much more unique than the Smiths. I kind of feel about the Smiths the same way that I do about Blur and sometimes even the Kinks. It's that it's not for me. You know, I can appreciate it academically and the melodies are always gorgeous, but the lyrics, again, seem so tied to a specific time, place, and culture. And obviously I can relate to the loneliness and alienation, which is one of the reasons why Morrissey has such a strong following in the Latin American community. Uh, his words are obviously able to speak to more than just those who grew up in, you know, Northern England in the recession of the late 70s and the right-wing Thatcher era of the 80s. But there's something about, you know, Morrissey in his prime. He had this chiseled, good-looking face, great haircut, pompadour. And he was sort of like the idealized outsider that we all kind of wanted to be. And Robert Smith, with his sort of scraggly hair and his off-putting kind of bizarre makeup and kind of hunched shoulders, he was almost more how I think he seemed like one of us. He seemed like one of the shy, awkward kids. You know, I think of uh, Chuck Klosterman's famous essay about Billy Joel, about how why Billy Joel can never be cool because whenever he looks at Billy Joel, he sees himself. I think that's how I think about Robert Smith. You know, when I, I look at him, I just relate to, to him so much. I just see myself in so many ways. And maybe that's why he's my favorite of the two. So if we look at these two bands together, look, I like both bands. I think most people like both bands. And I like that they hate each other. <laughs> I don't think that this rivalry actually impedes on anyone's enjoyment of no either way. band. It's not like Oasis versus Blur where people felt compelled to take a side. You know, if you like one band, you probably like the other. And I think the dislike that they had actually enhances our love of the Smiths and the Cure because there's all this great fodder, you know? They were slagging each other and they did it in a really funny, entertaining way. Yeah, I can't think of any case where, you know, if any Smiths fans were, were staunch anti-Cure or vice versa. I don't really, I can't really think of any examples of that really happening. Like you said, the debate was all about which one of the bands was better than the other. And Morrissey, I think, was more of an iconic cultural force, but I think the music of The Cure is going to continue to endure and probably prove to be more influential of the two bands, I'm going to argue. But maybe I'm just biased and just I'm a former Cure kid. Well, Steve, 
to die by your side as we pick apart rivalries would be the most heavenly way to die. Would you say it's just like <laughs> heaven? <laughs> yes. Yes, I would. Well, now that we got the pun out of the way, I think it's time to bid everyone goodbye. So thank you for listening to this episode of Rivals. We will be back with more beefs and feuds and long-simmering resentments next week. Rivals is a production of iHeartRadio. The executive producers are Sean Titone and Noel Brown. The supervising producers are Taylor Shacoin and Tristan McNeil. The producer is Joel Hatstadt. I'm Jordan Runtog. And I'm Stephen Hyden. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company, Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of BitCon, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge this season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.